Welcome, one and all, to Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek Discovery podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Welcome to the future, Pete. Say something inspirational, just don't make it annoying. Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 304, Forget Me Not, comes to you now via therapeutic coloring books. And just a bit of fleet news before we arrive at the episode. Pete, want to start out by saying that we are going to dig deep into this episode shortly, but let's open by saying how profoundly wonderful this story is, particularly by taking the decades-old Trill species uh, and reapplying that sci-fi creation to an area where Star Trek has traditionally come up short, representation for LGBTQ plus individuals. I was struck while watching this episode and uh you know deep space nine used the trill and the way that the species joins with hosts uh in the past to examine the lesbian experience at a time in the 90s when it was still kind of whispered about oh those are two girls and they're in love okay um this is the conversation that Star Trek has always had, whether it is people of other races or nations that we weren't necessarily giving fair shakes in the 60s to now with the much needed, long overdue transgender discussion. Pete also going on this week in the world of Star Trek, specifically in the world of Star Trek Discovery. Uh, I think you have some good news, despite the YouTubes having said otherwise. Oh, the YouTubes with two O's. Uh, Yes, Matt, season four of Star Trek Discovery is officially in production up in Toronto. Um, and our characters featured in this episode in particular, Matt, um, Blue Dobario's Adira and Ian Alexander's Gray, uh, will be joining them for season four. A bit more locally here on the USS Fantastic Geek, have to mention that, uh, of course, simultaneous to our watching and podcasting of Star Trek Discovery, we're also watching and podcasting The Mandalorian, uh, the 201 podcast already up, and the 202 podcast hitting the space airwaves tomorrow. So certainly looking forward to that as well. Yeah, I mean, between discovery back for this third season mando back for the second season getting ready to film its third season no sign of them or old fantastic geek slowing down and now for our mission briefing piano music punctuates the supplemental medical officers log of dr hugh culber as robots repair the hull of the discovery it's metaphor matt He checks in on the physical well-being of the crew, but is increasingly concerned about their mental health. As he walks the halls, people avoid his gaze. In the mess hall, he's checking in. And then in the gym, where Kayla Detmer does jumping jacks as a Woshikun is examined. And Culber buoys the crew with his own personal experience of having been lost and surviving. And I just want to say at the outset, 
you know, in addition to the trans examination uh, of that experience through the eyes of the trill here, can we just fully give credit and shout out to uh, Wilson Cruz and Dr. Culber in this episode? I'm going to appoint him to the crew to discovery. He's not the chief medical officer. That's Dr. Pollard. Okay. But I'm going to appoint him the caregiver in chief of the USS discovery. Yes. He, he approaches, uh, he Wilson Cruz and he, Dr. Colber approach these opening scenes with a sense of patience and wisdom. Pete, something I think we're all, we're all using lately is patience. Um, but, but just this notion as he talks to the tense and hidden, uh, emotionally hidden Detmer, this sense that, you know, it needs to be on her own terms and her own time for her to start to address the emotional aspect of what's going on here. And he can, he can be that buoy for her. He can be that end point. Indeed. He says in this scene that he's there to talk to her, uh, which, which, um, plainly but wonderfully sets up the ending where she takes him up on that um just this notion that because he's been on uh a a similar journey he knows that she's got to process it in her own time uh despite the fact in this opening scene she she brushes him off we get the voiceover continuing to talk about the difficulty to open up when you're an overachiever this a ship of overachievers uh, and what keeps them going is a mantra when we find the Federation. This particular portion of the uh, narration, by the way, uh, here it is doing double duty to add to the, the serialization of the story in an episode that, to a certain degree, is is self-contained. We get this kind of, you know, we get this ongoing mission here when we find the Federation, a reminder that not just they are pushing for that, but one senses that's the future for this season, particularly with things that happen later in the episode. Yeah. And all this, while some people are handling it well, showing us a fist bump between Bryce and Reese on the bridge and others, not so much Nilsson with the long face in sick bay. Colber notes that Adira may be able to guide them to Federation headquarters when we find the Federation, um, uh, once she regains her own memories and those of her former host, Senatal, and Dr. Pollard scans her on a bio bed, Colbert informs Captain Saru that she is perfectly healthy, as is the symbiont, but Saru notes it's wrapped around her heart, which only takes on added meaning once you've seen the whole episode here. Great uh, observation there. Uh, also point out in terms of the narrative here, this scene itself kind of a statement of the mission of the episode, though we're not getting kind of that, you know, classic Star Trek, whether you want to go big C or little C, uh, you know, here we are to mediate the A's and the B's and hope that they can find peace. And you say, okay, there will be peace by the end of the episode. Here we are kind of stating the mission of get those memories of Senatal back. I mean, obviously, if you watched last week, you know, but I think the the weight upon the episode to give us a clear conflict, a clear, a, a clear story mission for uh, for this episode, um, we get the notion that for Adira, their memories go back to being found in an escape pod a year ago. 
uh, elements in Adira's personality are of unknown origin? Are they the symbiont uh, or squid, as Burnham points out? Is it Adira Prime, if you will? Uh, Pete, I hope I can say Adira Prime tongue-in-cheek without upsetting the, the anti-JJ folks uh, who, who probably don't listen to the podcast anyway. But Pete, I stand by the informal denotation of the uh, unsymbioted Adira as Adira Prime. There's... The notion, the ship that found her, which I think we need to talk a little bit, the implication is that it was the United Earth Defense Force, but it's never made clear. Um, but all this while she can speak seven languages, uh, she can cook a mean Bajoran Hasperat, Matt, you know, trill, uh, Bajoran stuff here seem to be leaning hard into Deep Space Nine this season for some of the lore, and I'm really there for it. Um, I, I had wondered too on first view, you know, are they setting up the most obvious thing, the most obvious Trill symbiote that there is, the Dax? Um, restraint, the better virtue here that they did not, but um, but a fun call out nonetheless. Um, we get the central mission for this episode uh, very, you know, made very clear. Go to Trill and try and try and resolve this. Though will the Trill people be receptive to their visit? Uh, and ultimately, it is Adira who makes that decision. Let's go to Trill as we head into the title card. This is an episode written by Alan McElroy and Chris Silvestri and Anthony Marinville and directed by the the wonderful Hanley M. Culpepper. Credited in the title, but not um, the, the others. Uh, Rachel Antretrell, um, the non-actress, but not Blue Del Barrio and not Ian Alexander. So I thought that was a very interesting choice. Um, I must confess, I don't know Rachel Antretrell's IMDb. I don't have her IMDb page open. I don't know the, the heft of her resume. I think that the nature of Hollywood uh, might just be that she has earned Rachel Antretrell has earned the uh, the <laughs> the rotating title card uh, you know uh, credit there. Uh, she of course only gets it for the episode she appears in. Um, whereas with all due respect to Blue Del Barrio and Ian Alexander uh, as two newcomers to get the the the, the after episode credits um i think just in terms of resume that's that's what makes sense i don't know if it also informs us one way or the other in terms of the number of episodes that both actors will appear in i mean certainly we have what we lovingly refer to as the 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 canadian regulars you know that 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 uh, portion of the bridge crew played by uh you know canadian uh, uh citizens they often not even often they always appear uh you know in the uh post episode credits as well so i think just a it's no disrespect intended to to anyone i think it's just where people are at in terms of their careers and the 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 respect and the uh the star next to their name that sort of thing discovery spore jumps and descends toward trill as Reese announces no weapon signatures or anything else to indicate hostile intent. Saru orders that they stay at yellow alert and commands Bryce to open a channel as Burnham brings Adira to the bridge, but her host or her symbionts uh, home world doesn't evoke anything. Uh, we get Trill Commissioner Voss on the hollow. 
Uh, and he looks a little stunned uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, including the fact that he's so surprised, but happy to see a Federation starship. Pete Voss, a very chill dude. Yes, he's stunned, but he's very, it's that, that, that sense that one gets from the Trill people, whether they are uh, merely the host body without a symbiont or certainly the, the conjoined uh, Trill, just this sense of life being about more than the, the time we spend on this world you know maybe that's not the best galactic way to put it you know but just kind of a little bit more of a an ethereal sense uh he's told that there's a host and symbiote aboard this is blessed news the visit is welcome you see pete everything is working out kind of weird that they didn't say look this person next to me is the host uh adira is human and so on and so forth they might be setting up a little conflict for later i don't know but pete take us to engineering Yellow alert canceled here. Saru wants to talk to Stamets about his jumps. Stamets, not as cranky as we've seen him in the past, but cranky nonetheless. Second jump, no problems. He's fully recovered. But uh, I love the intonation in Doug Jones's voice here as he recaps for us that he had been impaled with a spike and placed in a coma. Pete, as we went into in depth last week, and I won't, I won't uh, backtrack too much. The the quality of performances that we're getting from familiar actors and familiar characters, but characters who are living on a different mindset or on a different path or whatever. Saru, played by Doug Jones, included. It's it's stunning, and we're seeing it here in in Captain Saru. Um, the concern of this scene being uh, one that I know we're going to dig into uh, in the theory segment later on. Stamets has been the successful chief interfacer uh, with the spore drive. If he's incapacitated again, what would that do to the ship? The ship would be as limited as every other. Um, Stamets confident in himself, but I think that we can all, at, at the very least in the moment, understand Saru's concern that all of this hinges on Stamets. Uh, and if you want to theorize, if you can make it about more than Stamets, you might drastically, I don't know, reshape uh, the, the galaxy itself. But uh, but Stamets promising that, that, fine, you're right, I'll work on coming up with a non-humanoid interface. And within that recap exposition that, okay, we got the spore drive interface from the encounter with the tardigrade on the Glen that we've left behind 932 years ago, that there's been all this development that we can find something to do it. And Oh, Hey, um, Stamets and Tilly, you are among the finest minds on the ship and I'm confident you're going to find a solution. Tilly wants to try dark matter, but Stamets immediately who poos it as incompatible. She's run some preliminary calculations um, to use dark matter to pierce the subspace domain. But, you know, again, not as cranky as he's been before, but cranky nonetheless. This is not about isn't science cool, but the lives of everything and everyone. He knows she's trying, but he doesn't want her to waste his time. Story moves to Burnham's relaxed quarters, by the way. Don't know if you noticed uh, just the one bed. Uh, the other side now taken up by a table. There's some sorts of 
you know, kind of set dressing stuff to show that she's definitely chill. Side note, Pete, I would infer that she's no longer roomies with Tilly. Let's not forget that we had approximately 47 crew members uh, leave Discovery for the Enterprise before uh, the time jump and the end of season two. So enough room to spread out. I think promotion too. promotion as well. I would just add to that in terms of, so you have kind of the logistical, there's less people on board so you can spread out. I think too, the story does not need Burnham and Tilly to be bunk mates so that Tilly can say, what do you mean? You don't know dun, 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 about black alert black and alert. then the mystery of it. <laughs> and what is that? You know, kind of, those narrative things, we don't need that anymore. You can now just go back to your quarters and chill and, you know, montage of the search, the work, the whatever, or or have people stop by for conversations. Um, Culber arrives, see Pete. It doesn't require Tilly as a, <laughs> as a, as a roommate. Uh, Culber uh, suggests that Burnham be the one to take Adira to the surface. One reason is that Burnham is the series lead. I, I don't know that Culber says that, but I think that was kind of implicit. He doesn't. <laughs> um, but the other, uh, the in-story answer is that uh, Adira's problem is not medical. It's more social-emotional. Burnham is someone who has lost everything, too, and perhaps the two can relate. And Culber, by extension there as well, death, time travel, a year alone, his theory on post-traumatic growth that she's burnham is still in the process of adapting to this but adira is about to start um even though burnham herself admits she's having trouble reintegrating aboard discovery but culber loves that she's a responsibility hoarder the most and she is working on it we cut to a walk and talk between adira and burnham the former is willing to go down alone, and Burnham walks away. Quickly, the 16-year-old decides that they could use Burnham's help after all. Uh, the two share a human connection, and Adira doesn't want to let anyone down. Uh, also, Burnham is asked to avoid those inspirational speeches, which I know you referenced uh, at the top of the episode, Pete. They board Shuttlecraft 3 and head down to Trill. Whoa, wait, whoa uh, Pete taking a shuttle down that'll be really handy if they need to leave trill quickly but not too quickly <laughs> wink wink know what i mean well but here's where both the characterization and the plot align okay so one of the things that was mentioned before there was no precedent for a human joining with a trill it's later going to get uh referenced again in the conversation with the trill leader, the commissioner and the spiritual leader. Uh, Matt, when was discovery initially set? Uh, that would be the 23rd century. Okay. During what era? Uh, the, the classic Trek era. Okay. Right. The original series, those old scientists, et cetera, et cetera. Who hadn't been joined in uh, an episode with a trill yet? Uh, Riker. There you go. So they jumped past it. The spore data didn't let them know, hey, there was this show started in 1987 <laughs> called Star Trek The Next Generation. Jonathan Frakes played a character named Commander Riker, who when a trill was damaged on... A shuttle mission 
because he didn't want to beam down because that would have scrambled his atoms and he didn't like it. Now, we've since seen Jadzia Dax and other Trill hosts beam down. Um, it, it doesn't interfere. It's not frowned upon or anything like that. But it's deep within the characterization of the species, so it works. Fair enough, fair enough. I, obviously, I'm, I'm having a little, little fun with the show because they need that walk back to the shuttle to be a, to be a bit of a story thing later on. But, uh, but it's all good. We get, at this point, uh, as Burnham and Adira leave, we get the B-plot of the episode really starting to spin up. Culber reporting to Saru uh, what the physical and emotional shortcomings uh, are of the crew. Physically, things are fine. Emotionally, everyone is a mess. Pete, if only we could sympathize. Uh, no one has any connection to the universe, and Saru realizes that he needs to foster everyone's interconnected nature. Shuttle lands on the picturesque trill, what with its gardens and waterfalls and a fish that flies for several beats after it jumps into the air with uh, CGI and they meet Voss and he presents guardian G interesting choice of names there, Matt, <laughs> who, who is an ally <laughs> um, of the spiritual community as well as leader Pav. So like their president, some kind of situation there. Uh, the black woman uh, Burnham introduces herself and Adira and they ask where the symbiont and the host are before Burnham indicates that it is Adira and they ask if she is human and she says that she is and she uh, asks to speak uh, asks Adira to speak her names but all she knows is hers and perhaps Senatals. Um, Burnham says the whole reason they're there is she's unable to access her memories. Uh, and Voss explains that in 2000 years, there hadn't been a single record uh, of a full underscore Matt joining between a symbiont and a non-trill species, you know, because they didn't time travel and Riker and the symbiont he was joined with temporarily to complete a peace negotiation between a couple moons back in the next generation days was not a full joining that symbiont later joined with a woman. So Pete, your analysis spot on your viewing experience, a little poorer for not uh, yet recognizing uh, actress Karen Robinson, she of Ronnie from Schitt's Creek, uh, playing leader Pav there. Uh, but uh, otherwise, Pete, everything squares with what you said there. Um, the, the joining that Adira has uh, undertaken is called an abomination. Uh, Trill law requires a separation, even if Adira dies. G notes that Adira, however, could be the future. There are not enough hosts, uh, the inference being there are not enough uh, trill hosts on the planet. Voss, again, is all not my trills. Um, Leader Pav ultimately calls the joining not an abomination, but an aberration 
however, uh, Pav is not going to support a forced separation. So, I mean, Pete, we get shades of inclusivity, of being uh, exclusionary, uh, and with so much in this episode, not... Uh, with all great due respect to Classic Trek, and let that be your last battlefield, they're not going for the obviousness of, wait, it's black and white and white right. and black. And it this is a very clear metaphor here. But the episode coming with the uh, baggage is certainly the wrong word, but coming with the 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 aura of uh, of looking at the trans experience here. Uh, and gender fluidity and, and all those uh, all those things for the trill to be having this discussion of an abomination, no an aberration. Ultimately, this is not what we want, says two thirds of the uh, of the the speaking uh, leaders there. You know, in Pav and uh, and Voss, we get our you know we get our, our modern commentary. I dare say, without kind of stepping fully outside of Star Trek and metaphor and aliens and cool tattoo spot things right it's not over the top um their message that uh burnham and adira need to leave immediately um because it'll be a greater challenge to what they have left to their ideas act break and then back from that voss leading burnham and adira back but not the way the shuttle is to a different route uh and burnham tells adira they're in trouble voss says that the symbiont belongs with them and he's making it his choice maybe the the sharpest um uh, statement made through dialogue in this episode uh, there are men that are approaching with uh spears uh burnham stuns both of them and then uh, stuns um, Commissioner Voss. Uh, Adira notes this is not Federation protocol. Remember, she has the latent memories of a Starfleet admiral inside her, <laughs> which I think takes on uh, humor in, in the, the dire situation. And then she is right behind them and tells them that their society, Trill Society, is on the brink of collapse and Helping them gives the trill a chance, and the caves are this way. There are no small parts, as they say, and to have Voss presented in a way that is cool and calm, but also like cool when you are on my side. But there's there's that sense of malice there uh, that all tracks, and then to have have G show up kind of in that kind of halting, you know, no, no, it's not, don't don't phaser me, I'm here to help, that sort of thing. You know, these are actors not given a ton of time to present their characters on screen, to develop them on screen, and they work with the lines that they have. They work with the screen time that they do have to really get across, you know, a sense of, again, a sense of cool malice from Voss, a sense of of um, kind of halting sympathy from G. The story, uh, however, moves back to Discovery, where the Pete, what I will refer to currently as the ship's computer, I'm going to make a distinction here from ship's computer and Zora, but the ship's computer voice uh, suggesting to, to help the emotional state of the crew with yoga, coloring books, shopping, things to, you know, pep people up when they're kind of down. I think that's very much how we read it. Like, not that yoga and adult coloring books and shopping uh, aren't valuable. Uh, in fact, Pete, uh, I, 
update there still are no discovery season three uh badges from qm on amazon when will my therapeutic badge shopping start <laughs> um but interestingly we see over saru's shoulder he doesn't fully necessarily see it straight on we see what we can recognize as sphere data flashing on his screen then the zora voice comes through uh, that voice of course from the calypso short tra uh, trek and it's Zora who's suggesting laughter, things like Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin. Uh, and again, Pete, whether you want to call it the ship's computer voice or the American voice versus the Zora voice, we get those kind of back and forth in this scene. Yeah. And there's the question here. I, I think it was curiously presented. Um, it seemed a little out of the blue. They've had this sphere data all along. And I don't know whether you want to say, all right, now it's it's finally integrated and it's becoming its own thing and that it would rear its head now. Saru, you know, notices the difference as the British voice chuckles. He asks it to run a level 10 diagnostic and it switches back to the, the non-anglicized voice there that says that it's fully operational. Thank you. Um, but he says, Saru does, that these connections were beyond the algorithm he presumed. Um, and then the British voice chimes in again about R&R &R. Um, and this suggestion that he show gratitude, put it on auto navigation, which I think takes on an interesting um, tone and, you know, give the crew a night off and have a private meal with the bridge crew. We return to the caves of Makala, uh, which has the bioluminescent bio lights get turned on. Uh, it's even more lovely than we remember it from Deep Space Nine. I indeed, Pete, all love to Deep Space Nine. You go back and look at some of the, uh, especially like some of the pictures of the caves of Makala from, uh, from Deep Space Nine. And you can, uh, you know, again, it, it was a different level of, um, of, of uh, permanence. It wasn't HD. It wasn't widescreen, et cetera. But you kind of look at, look at the Deep Space Nine era version of the caves. And you go, I see where you put a kiddie pool up on, uh, on a platform and then covered everything with like really great rock work. But I can, I can see the pool. I can see the, I can kind of see the, the constructed elements of it here. This, of course, uh, probably a more expensive set and certainly augmented by, uh, you know, computer work and whatnot. Um, we do get the milky waters. We see some symbionts swimming around in there. Uh, for Adira, she feels safe. Uh, she's going to change and go, in, a, a, go on in for a cave swim. It's a strange transition. I get it. You've got to change her into the, the white robe thing to be able to go into the pool. Uh, but we transition back to Saru's ready room for uh, the, the dinner here that uh, Saru is going to put on for everybody, explaining he's given the rest of the crew the night off, uh, that he wanted to uh, have a meal with them as they've worked the most closely. Okay, you've got Georgiou, you've got Stamets, Culver, Nan, Awoshikin, Detmer, uh, Bryce, Reese, uh, Nilsson is there as well. Did you well. mention Linus? Linus, sorry, sorry. Um, you know, it's, it's a big table. Uh, and it felt conspicuous seeing the stills 
and not seeing Burnham and you thought like, all right, they hadn't found her yet. Oh no, she's, she's just on a mission. And, uh, of course you mentioned Giorgio there. She's not exactly a bridge crew person, but she is played by international icon, Michelle Yeoh. So <laughs> of course she gets a place at the table. Uh, also Pete, I'll just perhaps pedantically just point out everybody else has a night off. Like you don't have one night watch person uh, in the command chair on the bridge. I mean, I know it's just a couple of steps away, but you don't have one person at the helm. You, nobody's watching the engine core. I, I, I think probably this way, Pete. Oh, Saru was being a little uh, floral in his language to say everyone probably, you know, the, the nighttime uh, rotation w- was on in, in partial staff, something like that. But, but Pete, I'm just being a pedantic Star Trek fan there. Emotionally, this is about Saru wanting to share his gratitude. It's a time for ritual, a way to measure things with those who are loved. Uh, they're reminded all of saying I to the captain. Uh, and this is a sort of toast. For me, the moment perhaps falls a tad flat, but the heart is in its right place, certainly. And I, I think given what we know of the internal tension and the way that the camera focuses a number of times on Detmer, both in this first part of the scene and in the later uh, version where all the drama comes out, you know, it's simmering beneath the, the surface there. You know, here we have the humor. We have uh, Giorgio spearing the, the, space crab leg and then dropping it um i really enjoyed the the linkage of their votes with uh a prayer and that means a little bit more since we've been recording now (laughs) doesn't it matt (laughs) uh it does this being recorded uh late morning on on saturday november 7th and, and things having changed a bit behind the scenes shall we say to say the least at least uh, in America here. Um, but this this eye that was uttered around the table that leads to a toast and then back to the drink in the caves. Ooh, I like that transition there. Um, Z, uh, pardon me, G wonders if the repressed memories uh, of this joining, if they are from Adira, not the symbiote, uh, G explains that uh, he's going to put a scanner sphere into the in, in, into the liquid there. It's going to track her isoboromine levels. Pete, I don't know what that means, but I know essentially, and, and though the episode does not literally present it as I'm about to describe it, essentially it's going to be green is good, red is bad. Do we all understand that this is the one measure thing? And when, it's, when it says bleep, that's good. And when it says bloop, that's bad. So yes, is everyone clear it, at home? Because I'm and clear. And that it's shaped like a floating basket ball and or old-timey diving bell helmet (laughs) complete with the slidey thing that it's activated we get it it is is space uh space milk monitor to make sure it everything's okay um senatal figuratively is down there okay go get him adira her eyes go white and she's now in communion. Take us back to the figurative communion, Matt, at the dinner table. 
Pete, is that Droog Beetle Pie? Because Linus certainly thinks so. Uh, side note, again, this is kind of like the pedantic nature of me as a Star Trek fan and perhaps many people or many other Star Trek fans. Just just to pause the emotion of the moment to say, what must it be like to sit down at an interspecies meal uh, where it's a big spread and you're like, ooh, that looks good. And then you bite into it and it tastes kind of weird. And the Saurian says, yeah, that's Droog Beetle Pie. And you're like, oh, no, that's completely gross for my culture. But Pete, maybe it's maybe that's when you say, and I need to. I don't know, look again at my thoughts on Droog Beetles. I don't know, but in this meal here, the camera favors Detmer's uncomfortable nature. Uh, there's also a quick recap of the Tilly Stamets tension. Again, largely done through Hanalee uh, Culpepper's camera work here. You know, Stamets and Tilly, you know, pass to this, don't just take it, that kind of thing. Things are calmed down as Saru essentially calls this the Kelpian Thanksgiving. Uh, they start to share silly haikus, then gross haikus, uh, then Detmer is asked to do one. And before it starts to go off the rails verbally, again, Honolly Culpepper uh, capturing, I don't know whether it was a director of photography decision or a script decision, but Detmer grabbing on to the end yeah. of the table there. Just, I mean, look, we know Detmer's not in a great place, but that visual put it over the top in addition to the acting and the dialogue and the, the camera angles and all of that. And her obsession here with the inability to get Stamets' blood from what had happened, the Battle of Zahia, uh, from wherever it was, whether it was the Med Bay floor or whatnot. Um, and obviously, the uncalled for uh, reaction by Stamets and by others, but you know, th this crew has moved forward. This speaks to family. This speaks to the need to process what has taken place. And though we still, at the end of this episode, do not officially know what is wrong with Detmer, okay? Clearly, there's an emotional component to this. And then bringing up, you know, her job. Stamets job uh you know having to be tough not getting the uh recognition one might feel that they deserve uh added to all of this is Jeff Russo whose music quietly underpins the tension uh, I think given that it is such a personal thing and it's not you know fate of the universe that sort of thing uh Russo taking a bit of a backseat in terms of the musical flourish, but it's there to help as it so oftentimes is. Uh, you mentioned how Stamets sees himself as the hero who saved the day uh, right after getting back to work. Whereas, uh, whereas Detmer is the one who actually flies this monster and keeps everyone safe. Uh, Pete, they're acting like complete buttheads says Tilly, <laughs> or she uses similar words, which, which we shall not. Um, and then, and then, uh, there's yelling, Stamets storms out, Culver follows him, Detmer runs out, friends Tilly and Awoshikon follow. Uh, with that, Pete, the rest of the, uh, the the rest of the bridge crew just kind of file out, although Giorgio is last, uh, last. She loves the tension and, and takes the wine on her way out. And it's a preview of this year's Thanksgiving. <laughs> indeed, uh, indeed, Pete, it might be. If only they were doing it over screens. 
Uh, we return to the caves where the orb is uh, showing things going down. Uh, suddenly, Pav, uh, leader Pav, is there with guards. Still looks like Adira is Pete, to use an ancient Earther term. It looks like she is flatlining in the ER. Uh, then we see her pulled under in a moment I was not anticipating. Um, can Burnham go in to help her? Yes or no? What's it going to be, Pete? Of course, she's going to go in there. We've sent her on this away mission. She's the proxy. She's the main character. She's the one that's got to relate this experience, uh, both be the guide and be the observer. Uh, that's made possible by use of neural stabilizers. Uh, we see Burnham get pulled under too. Uh, there then is an act break. Pete, I knew it was an act break because once again, the CBS All Access app on my Fire Stick, there's some sort of issue where it gives me commercials. Um, uh, despite the fact I have the commercial free thing. If anybody else is experiencing this, uh, I've exited out of the episode and then gone to check that I was still logged in, which I was, and it says commercial free. Then I go back and it has no more commercial breaks along the thing. Very annoying. I'll keep people uh, posted. I've now reached out to CBS All Access three times, three different ways to get some kind of answer. Uh, but rant over. Uh, we see Burnham arriving in the mental plane, as I'm kind of calling it. There are these twisting, root-like substances. Adira arrives, trying to avoid those roots, which seem to continue to twist to her. Pete, is there a connection? Can we say hashtag, it's all connected? <laughs> these tendrils are a great way to first give us the alien environment and then help us understand, okay, these are the memories trying to take root um, within the caves here with the symbiont experience that they react to her. The exobiologist in Burnham very much on the case. In due course, we enter uh, some of Adira's memories. Uh, indeed, we flash back to Adira's past, to her seeing uh, the about-to-be-named Grey, who's preparing to be joined with his symbiont. Uh, the two characters, Adira and Grey, talk about their love. Adira reflecting on uh, them having been on a generation ship looking for Federation headquarters. We see some kind of uh, events that are vague in time in terms of uh, Grey, I think still about to receive the symbiote. Then we see a cello. Uh, Gray is able to play it uh, now that he's been joined. For Adira, this is new. And some great, great dialogue here. Gray had said that he would be the same, but uh, Adira saying now he's different. Gray says that, he's, th that there simply is more of him, and it's not one host or the other. There are no fences. Pete, this is a brand new person who also is the same old person. Yeah, and it's really lovingly done i feel the connection between these two characters um not the way i anticipated going matt i did not think that both adira and gray would have been host to the same symbiont and it's a really interesting way to look at a relationship in the past the couple's the way we've told stories with Trill had been, you know, oh, I was with 
the Dax symbiont uh, when it was in one body and now it's in another to think that lovers, that people who had a romantic relationship have both hosted now the same symbiont. And that brings the, the further beauty to the detail that, um, that Tall was wrapped around Adira's heart. The scene wraps up with Adira saying that she's made Grey a gift. It was indeed made, not replicated. It's revealed to be... Nope. We actually head back to the the, the joining space, the mental space, uh, where Burnham and Adira are. Uh, Adira claiming that Burnham is not helping her for any reason other than to get Senatal's message. Uh, which I think, if we're going to cut away from a moment of highest tension, you know, A, that's what one does. But B, this is a fair complaint from Adira, although Burnham's answer is even better. No, says Burnham, you need to confront your past to be able to move forward. Pete, this is why Culber and the story put Burnham here. Uh, For as much as Culber has been through a whole experience, it wasn't exactly about confronting a past and then making making a personal change. For Burnham, it absolutely has been. Yeah, and these tendrils here now agitated, lighting up onto Adira's forehead, almost like neurons here. And the you mentioned before the moments of highest tension, you know, now we're going to find out what's in the box. Uh, well, indeed, uh, Adira is going to open it even as the, the, the mental place starts to shake. It's revealed to be a, a memory quilt of sorts. This patch reminds him of the time the broken replicator kept making apples. This time when they played imaginary chess. Gray kind of summarizing, because I think we could go, and this patch and this patch and do 9, 12, you know, whatever it might be. Gray summarizes and says that this is a record of their story. Uh, they embrace and, and, I mean, just fantastic way the it's fantastic the way the the shot is framed where our focus is on the two characters hugging albeit hugging in a static way they're they're not literally frozen but there's not a whole lot of motion to catch your eye then you see the asteroid coming closer closer to the ship uh the ship hit uh quickly we learn that for gray it's going to be a fatal injury adira calls for medical help drones appear uh, we're told that Gray's body is fading. Uh, his greatest worry is the loss of the, the symbiote and all the memories in it. Uh, the, the medical droids say that a transplant is possible, and uh, Adira is ready to try to take it to preserve all those memories. Yeah, back to the shot of the asteroid, that it's done actually in reflection to see that it's coming through the window, I think adds an even greater level you can see why Hanalee Culpepper was asked to direct this episode, even though it, it's not the signature action uh, that we've we've seen with some of her episodes. Um, so the the medical uh, trauma being dealt with here, the emotional trauma of Adira coming to the realization she's losing her lover that uh, we need to take care of the memories, the, the symbiont inside and transfer it. And then back to the, the memory space uh, where she's put all this together and to have Burnham 
help her fully resolve this situation. Yes, and, and the, the, the memory space has now changed. It's cool and blue looking. Uh, we see energy forming into, uh, in, into the faces of the past lives. We have a Picard-era captain. We have uh, officers presumably from, from later than that. We have the older Senatal, uh, and then reserved for his own reveal, the return of Grey. Uh, Senatal notes that a human joining is unusual, but Tal accepts you as well. Uh, Adira's welcomed to the circle, and Burnham is able to directly thank Senatal for the message of hope. Uh, and with that, Adira is ready to go. Yeah, it's a really nice accepting of who Adira is, welcoming to the circle here. I mean, the, the metaphor is heavy but it it works um and it's it's lovingly shot and depicted and i i think that's really the aim here of this particular episode of star trek is to help people understand this idea of acceptance of who you are and what you become in the caves, uh, Burnham and Adira reach the surface of the, uh, the, the liquid. They're helped out. Uh, Adira is asked to speak their names, uh, and we hear Kashatal, Jovartal, Maldesatal, Karatal, Senatal, Greytal, and Adiratal. Uh, the, the leaders there assembled apologize to Adiratal for rejecting them. And G notes, uh, or it is noted that G has impacted the trill here. Uh, let's not forget Pete in Deep Space Nine. They had explored the notion that the symbiotes were much more uh, interchangeable, at least with the trill humanoids, uh, than was let on. Um, Adira rejects Leader Pav as a mentor, uh, choosing Burnham, choosing Discovery instead. Uh, Pav puts a pin in another visit by Discovery and perhaps even another joining, i.e. Trill returning to the Federation. Yeah, so we solve this A story uh, before the B story, which is interestingly done. And then Tilly goes to see uh, Saru still kind of moping over his failed dinner in the ready room. Tilly returns, and she's the one to thank him. Uh, though this was low on the Pike scale of getting along, uh, Tilly notes that this was high on the Tilly's childhood home scale. So I think some reminder there of things being a bit relative. Uh, Tilly notes that Saru reminded everyone what they mean to each other. Stamets returns uh, much calmer. He thanks Tilly for all her help, for all her time on the ship. He had failed to tell her what she meant to him, and uh, he says that they should talk more about dark matter meeting the spore drive for some sort of solution. Yeah, so the other element of this episode, the strife among the crew mentally reconciling everything that happens, moving towards real solutions with the navigation and the propulsion of the ship. And then we've got a round back to Detmer, her, as Colbert talked about early on, having to seek help, going to see him 
in sick bay. Of course, she's not well. Obviously, she says. And it's only now that the healing can begin that she's admitted there's a problem. And I, I, it's it's simple. It's elegant at the same time. And, you know, this idea that pilots especially, though she is female, are macho and it's difficult for them to have that talk until you realize there's a problem. Yes. And I thought it was so, it, it was so interesting and so nuanced and subtle that uh, the writers would choose to use the word macho, you know, kind of it, it, it being a word with uh, kind of, you know, the O at the end, kind of the, the gender, the gender aspect to the word macho, not just in kind of general intonation, but, you know, with that, with that kind of Spanish Latin origin point being, I think by and large, we see Detmer as a character, uh, you know, as, as a person, not necessarily, you know, as somebody who acts in a male or female way, uh, although, you know, clearly female, et cetera. But my point being, I think in the ether, in this scene, in addition to it being about PTSD and needing to admit that you're not okay and, and to start that conversation, I think there's just a, perhaps for, for us, maybe not for Detmer, not in the, 23rd century origin and the 33rd century time that they're in there's a little bit of the kind of you know women in the workplace if you're too tough you're a such and such and if you're not tough enough then people walk over you you know i think there's a little bit of there w without it refocusing kind of detmer's personal journey uh, but all of this pete gets interrupted by an all call uh courtesy of the computer all available crew are are asked to come to the shuttle bay for a surprise <laughs> On another watch, it doesn't come across as potentially ominous, but given that the computer is doing things it's never done before, they've wound up 931 years in the future. I don't know. There's something mildly unsettling about it. Let's, uh, Pete, just as this episode sticks a pin in, Will Trill return to the Federation uh, and things of that sort? Uh, let's take a pin in that for the theory segment because uh, I, I may disagree. Uh, the surprise in the shuttle bay is a Buster Keaton movie. It's a real gasser. Everyone's laughing. Uh, George Joe is there too. Pete, she's kind of clearly not happy to be there. You know, arms <laughs> folded. She kind of finds she'll take the 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 popcorn from Linus. Uh, she also has like a front row center seat, so it shows you that even when she's not happy to be there, she's going to get the best seats in the house. Yeah, and the overt discussion from Saru and Culver here about the joy filling the room, uh, what with the laughter and everything like that, but also with the sphere data seeming to want to protect them, that it and Discovery are now joined, are now connected, um, is an interesting take. It is. Uh, in between Giorgio and uh, Saru's portions of the scene, we have Detmer and Stamets hugging it out. Uh, I think that an efficient way to wrap things up there. I don't know the dialogue was needed. Um, and back to Saru, indeed, this idea, this, this starting out theory um, that if the sphere data, which was protected by the Discovery crew, if it now is not trying to protect Discovery, 
Uh, but the story moves on to uh, to crew quarters where Senatal had the algorithm for the coordinates. Uh, Peter, I'm not quite sure why it just couldn't be straight up coordinates, but whatever. Sometimes you have to sci-fi or sci-fi. Uh, those coordinates are given from Adira to Burnham. We don't see where it is, but Burnham is very impressed. Almost as though Burnham knows it's late in the episode and we need, you know, we're not going to get, you know, Mr. War Fire to be continued because this is more an emotional episode, but we need something to propel us to, to future episodes. Um, and with that, Adira starts to play a cello. Uh, Burnham is impressed at the lullaby. It's uh, a, a song from Senatal. The memories are still coming in. And and then Pete, the already lovely episode just just adds even more. Yeah, as Burnham leaves, the camera shifts, and there is Gray, uh, comforting Adira, and you know, like I said before, you're you're left with the beauty of a love story where the lovers are now united inside each other, um, and you know, being able to move forward this way. I mean, it remains to be seen how present Gray will be in this story. Essentially, Matt, if I can mix my my chocolate and my peanut butter, you know, a force ghost, uh, you know, now cast in season four. But could this be a Culber situation you know 931 years in the future they can use dark matter to come up with a new fix so that stamets doesn't have to be in the spore cube all along can they come up with a a way to make gray physical again well and certainly all these questions swirling and i give credit to the episode for confronting them head on uh while also sticking a pin in it yet again um what is it that we are seeing and and how does it compare to what what burnham saw or what adira sees um it's revealed that adira did not know how to tell burnham that indeed adira sees gray does doesn't know how to explain gray's presence how is this working uh how will it work gray has no answers uh at the moment but as for the bowing of the cello they should keep practicing uh, indeed they do one hand touching the other the other and uh, in, in, in ultimate Star Trek fashion, we then cut to an exterior shot, Discovery flying by to end the episode. In our incoming threat analysis, Pete, uh, let's start with Trill Commissioner Voss. The implication, I mean, explicit here referring to what has happened between Tall and Adira as an abomination. This is beneath the surface a story about uh, people wanting to determine gender, who can join up with who, and who can call him or herself what. And I think... Look, the story needed somebody to push that the most. That was Voss. Uh, I think that the story, the story purposes in terms of this being a challenge to get to the caves and and there being timing issues and not enough staff there to help out if things go wrong. All of that is also aided by Leader Pav, who, you know, while less malicious uh, and again not quite willing to call it an abomination, but rather an aberration, 
um, still we see kind of this, uh, pardon me for lack of a better word, Pete, but this, this wall up to kind of prevent things from outside the norm happening. And of course, ultimately, it is the Star Trek spirit and the idea of uh, infinite diversity and the idea of indeed perhaps just simply looking at the positive side you know we have g saying yes vas less pav yes pav uh purity and tradition and things like that are important but it's been so important and because of other circumstances the burn etc we're all about to be you know we're at the brink of extinction here we must evolve so wait a minute matt you're saying that one leader in vas who wants to force a separation and potentially kill uh, a host in Adira to save a symbiote to maintain purity um, and another politician uh, going along with it. You're, you're saying that, that these people are threats. Pete, I'm realizing that maybe this was such a beautifully constructed episode that the, the barbs of metaphor maybe, maybe were hidden. Um, yes. There's no question that uh, th that the leadership has presented here has aligned to to Pete. I don't want to. I don't want to say exactly what I want to say in my head. But shall we say to preserve tr trill tradition uh, forever? Uh, it, maybe if we could come up with something shorter for a hat, I don't know. But um, yeah, I mean, I think clearly, clearly the the influences on the episode, whether they are are universal or contemporary i think the influences are clear and honestly i mean i give credit for i give credit for this episode of discovery not diving on in too deep to the vitriol and indeed letting uh letting the cream rise to the top even in the milky caves of makala Pete, let's set our long-range sensors towards theories for this episode. And uh, the first one here uh, comes courtesy of Patrick Patterson, uh, who, who shared a thought on Twitter, shared a perspective on Twitter um, that I, I had not considered, and I, I think it's important that we start with here. So Patrick's uh, PDP Does Trek is his, uh, is his uh, Twitter uh, handle. Uh, he says as follows. So I really enjoyed yesterday's episode, talking about 304, but I was disheartened when the actor and character flaunted as Star Trek's first trans character was immediately killed off. I want uh, to privilege trans voices in this. How did people feel? Um, uh, Pete, because he was looking for a trans perspective, I, 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 I was not in and out of this thread, uh, although I, was, uh, I was, was trying to learn from it. And I, I thanked Patrick for his, uh, for his views there and just... Uh, Patrick had replied to me saying, I, you know, I did enjoy the episode. I just worry about feeding into the trope. Uh, this kind of being the, you know, the, the kill your gaze trope. Um, so, I mean, there were other responses here. Uh, Karen Chu had, had replied to the thread saying we still have gray presently. Um, she, Karen did not see this feeding into the, into the, the, the trope. Um, and some other responses, so ultimately this pete i guess here's the starting point yes the marketing end gave us adira and gray and the thought was okay great they both joined the 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 ship the show they're going to be a couple we're going to see uh a functioning happy uh, couple played by trans actors whether the characters are 
trans within the show or it's more of that metaphorical sci-fi stuff whatever it is we're not where we thought we would be i know that there's obviously much more story to come what's your takeaway from this this perspective that patrick had shared i definitely see the complaints that they killed the character off however um he lives on in adira and being able to introduce that perspective is vital and important. Has it been diminished through death? Like I said, we don't know if there's a story solve at the back end of this and that the character is now confirmed to be in season four, um, I think gives hope. A couple more comments here from this thread and from the discussion. Uh, Patrick had said, uh, if the character exists only to serve as a mentor that only one character can see, is it really the same? I'm not sure. Uh, KVF Boy AF1 said that's a good point about other characters not being able to see Gray. Making this character is not a good look. Uh, and then last bit I'll share from this this great thread here. Kaylee, that's uh, K-E-A-L-Y-R-H-N on Twitter, had said, I have strongly ambivalent feelings. On the one hand, uh, the... On the one hand, the story of Adira, Gray, and Tal, uh, irrespective of any trans representation, is really strong and emotionally real. But on the other, Gray is immediately killed, undercutting his rep status. Uh, I don't know how I feel, but Kaylee says, but I'm willing to give the writers some extra rope. Uh, Pete, I think with Kaylee there, I agree 100%. Surely they must have been aware of the, the kill your gaze trope, and they must have been aware that it's not a great... If, if draft one was, oh, that's awesome, and then we get this trans character, this trans actor, blah, 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 and then immediately he's killed off the end. Like, they must have known that that's not a good look long term. I don't think anybody is saying Star Trek has done, Star Trek Discovery has done wrong here, uh, but I think it's definitely like, watch this space to make sure that they've done right here. Yeah, and we are not fully knowledgeable about what story is to come with this so i think you have to reserve that judgment like i said i completely see the complaint um but done for story purposes uh i i think it's it's too early to judge all right so from that theory if, if that was if that was you know, general order one theory, we'll take it down several notches to some more kind of nitty gritty Star Trek. Uh, I guess it's all Star Trek, you know, some stuff that's, that's not of that kind of great commentary level here. Pete, yes, we have ships that go uh, less than, um, less than, than warp speed because of the burn, etc. You know, a couple that do still warp around with what the only thing there is. I had wondered aloud on Twitter, so, fine, what has happened to subspace communications? I know the story needs the burn to happen and everything falls apart and everyone is separated. Um, but why isn't there subspace radio, subspace you know, visual communications? I know you had replied on Twitter, and I'll, I'll give you, a, a, in a moment I'll ask you to repeat that, but uh, Dennis on Twitter, Bono underscore Dio, had given me what I thought was a great answer. Um that perhaps the subspace satellites simply broke down over time since they weren't able to be serviced because there was so little warp activity. So if that's your in-universe answer for why things quickly, um, quickly 
devolves, I think that's one that that certainly is one answer that works for me. And I think it works in concert with what I had floated again, going on what the the show, the text, if you will, said that the Gorn, uh, you know, destroyed a couple light years worth of subspace. So perhaps that gap that the older satellites, I mean, Matt, what what is the first episode of Discovery? It is the Shenzhou uh, showing up to fix a relay. Um, so there, there's completely within previous storytelling the idea that and and then it got hard to communicate over long distances yeah and i think so oftentimes with star trek fandom unlike even the the, the similar the adjacent star wars fandom i think with star trek because we so we know so much about the politics the technology the transportation all of that i think that it's the default is to like reach for memory alpha or reach for the technical manual and come up with the answer when ultimately the big story umbrella is everything got reset and it's terrible. And all those tools that you had for all the other star Trek stories, um, particularly once it codified, you know, maybe towards the end of the first season of classic Trek, like we're taking all of that away and we're not going to necessarily come up with you know science answers for why subspace doesn't work. Let's just see the Gorn thing. Let's assume the relay thing and all of that just to to get the story effect that we want, which is everybody's really far apart from each other. Something um, that's been floated that seems to be gaining more traction, and I think at this point we have to address it. The burn, Michael Burnham, is there a connection there? Look, do I think Discovery, the Discovery crew in the in the 33rd century, um, do I think they're going to be the massive saviors and that perhaps at the end of the season, things are much better from where they were? Sure. I, the notion that this is all because of Michael Burnham somehow, to me, that's a little too close to home. The notion that you know, I've already, I, I've seen people say this on Twitter, you know, I've already figured out the answer to the season. It's going to be not only does Burnham prevent the, uh, the burn, but it's also going to be when they go back and prevent it, they're going to go back with the discovery from Calypso a thousand years from now. And they're going to drop off uh, Captain Giorgio or Philip Giorgio to the 23rd century to do the Giorgio spinoff. Like to me, that's all way too much. I'm okay having Calypso just live out there a thousand years from now, and whether it's abandoned ship this season or at the end of the series or whenever, that's one end point there. But you know, what was the intention of the Calypso story? Something so, so, so far in the future that it was incredibly far in. Oh, and in retrospect, you seed it in a universe that's drastically different from the one that we know. Um, you know, I have confidence that the Section Thirty One show is going to happen. They have yet to. You know, they've yet to start filming it. Are we sure that it hasn't been revised? Are we sure that's going to go through? Are we sure that it hasn't been revised to be, you know, to be taking place in, um, in, in the now present times of discovery as opposed to the 23rd century? You know, I, I don't know that that's the case either. They could have chosen any name for this cataclysm and they chose burn though. It, it feels intentional. Um, I would I would just argue that maybe the in, 
and Pete, I, this is a perfect point. I know when I'm listening to this ahead of season four, this is when I go and go, no, Pete teed it up perfectly. Follow the Pete. And I just can't. To me, the burn tells you explosion, uh, you know, death, disaster, all of that. You know, I mean, you don't want to burn anything, right? If you, you know, you might get, you might get caramel, caramelization on food, but you don't want to burn it, right? Uh, you want to crisp that steak up. You don't want to burn it. Um, so to me, it's just, it's, it's a simple word to, to say what you want to say, which is it's a bad, bad thing. It has that denotative, um, and connotative, just, just malice to it. So I, I don't know. Time, time will tell. I I guess it's also worth keeping in mind too. You know, if the George O show was going to, if the section 31 show was going to shoot, uh, after this season concluded, we still could have whatever, whatever that result is going to be. It still could be happening. Like, do we know for sure that Michelle Yeoh is in season four? Off the top of my head, I don't know definitively. So they might still be keeping whatever plan they had, whether it's in Discovery's present or in uh, Ash Tyler's present or whatever it might be. We got to talk about the ships, Matt. Pete, what relationships do you want to talk about? I know there's been a lot of discussion on Twitter in particular, are Detmer and Awoshikun a couple? Um, yeah, I know Trek Corps had suggested that, you know, did some some screen caps. When you have a screen cap and you zoom into it and you show three different looks in a row, it kind of, that does look like a certain, um, a certain sense there. Uh, Pete, I know the typical dude bro answer would be, you know, Owo and Detmer, that sounds pretty awesome. I'm just not seeing that kind of connection thus far. For me, Awoshikan's concern for Detmer, A, the concern has been there because the story has wanted to keep alive this notion that Detmer is not right. And, you know, with all due respect to Emily Coots, if she's not getting a ton of dialogue to say, wait, I'm not well, you know, it helps the story to have Awoshikan say, Go on, uh, you know, you know, engage or, you know, shields are up. Do as the captain ordered. Like it, those looks of concern, I think, are, are thus far, they've been kind of maybe plot driven, not emotion driven or not, not character development driven. But I also think, too, it's like the two of them work right next to each mm-hmm. other. But again, maybe I'm bringing some 21st century, you know, romance in the workplace stuff that that in Starfleet and in the future, they have figured out how to make sure things, you know, how to make sure the personal does not interrupt the workplace and so forth. And like you said, the the screen caps that we would have to uh, look at single frames to determine a relationship between two characters at this point means probably no until the script, the screen tells us, you know, what's a look of admiration for my pilot landing the ship or concern for her as opposed to uh, romantic love um, or, you know, urging somebody to, to say a haiku uh, at a, at a pseudo Thanksgiving style meal that degenerates into a Tuesday night in a, in the Tilly household. Um, the episode really works at times to avoid saying symbiote too much, i.e. referring it to re- referring to it as a squid or referring to the whole situation as Gray was a host. Um, 
to me it was enough where it kind of stood out maybe it's i don't know if any of the actors had trouble saying symbiote as i feel like sometimes i have a little trouble saying it symbiont um, symbiont not symbiote this is not venom <laughs> um I, I mean either way i guess another option is maybe that was in there to hammer home to those in the audience who weren't completely clear on the whole the whole nature of the trill species and the squid and all that to just say, you know, Hey, that thing that we've shown in the scanner, that is, you know, maybe that was a way of hammering it home, but, but Pete, as promised, let's talk a little bit here about, uh, the, the battling computers. Whoa, whoa, Here's whoa, my... back up, man. You tee up a squid question and you don't allow me to ask mine. Uh, Pete, I welcome your squid question. Is Adira or the trill Hydra? Uh, no, I think there's a purity there. They're not Hydra. They're not, uh, they're not Vite. They're just Pete. They're just their own thing, which, uh, which, which certainly predates Hydra on screen. And, uh, it's part of the, the beautiful Star Trek mythology. Oh, well, um, back now to the computer. Uh, here's my take, Pete. Uh, we know where Zora ends up. In the Calypso short, uh, a thousand years from now, from this episode at least, um, I think that the show is is starting to set up for us Zora the computer not as a threat, not as a commander data existential reflection, but just the happy, helpful computer with a personality, no concerns about uh you know the the Han Solo movie and is the computer did it have a personality because it was a droid and. I think it's just, you know, this season, amongst other things, this season is about rebranding Star Trek Discovery as new, new, new Star Trek. We're taking things away. You know, we're, we're, we've taken, we've, we've gotten rid of warp drive to a large degree. We have no subspace. All these Star Trek tools we've taken away, you know, the mindless computer that Major all Barrett reads, you know, like I think that we're moving away from all of that to, Somebody like my phone, who sounds more human than not, who can give responses in the time it takes to think, you know, what is 18 plus 72? I think that's where we're headed. I really don't think we're going to have, and now the computer wants to kick us out. I hope not. Um, it, it just felt incongruous ever so slightly the way it was presented. Wouldn't the captain... Okay, yes, the the crew's nerves are frayed, but we need to do the the computer's telling me it doesn't need a level 10 diagnostic, but it's speaking in different accents. Can I maybe get Nilsson to look into this one for my peace of mind? I mean, had he still threat ganglia, those things are jumping out of his head. Um Maybe, although I feel like, look, if the show wanted to go down that route, we'd get more, you know, uh, Arium with the red dots and ominous music. The two times when Zora, the computer, reveals herself, the fact that, Sa I, I feel like this, the writers are telling us, look, Saru is not concerned. Look, at the end of the episode, Saru is essentially saying, hey, everyone at home, maybe this thing wants to protect us the way we protected it. Um, don't worry. Don't overly theorize. Don't think that this is now going to be Borg 3.0. This is just a new kind of Star Trek computer that 
is not going to be a source of, uh, you know, Bruce Maddox, the computer's on trial. Is it alive or is it not? It's just going to be that happy, helpful computer in part because, you know, Pete, we've already done those Star Trek stories of, of, of all of that, of, you know, is it man or is it robot? I think we're charting a new course here for Star Trek. So you're saying that the end game for the discovery merged sphere data computer Zora is not going to be constant distractions. Hey, there's a surprise movie in the shuttle bay. Um, now on level four is, uh, a shopping mall, like constant distractions to take them away from their regular duties. Hey, Commander Stamets, don't go figure out the uh, spore cube dark matter interface. Instead, there's Cassilian Opera. Pete, the episode does not show Saru arranging for the movie. I had just kind of assumed that was the case. Uh, I, I think that you raise a good point that it could have been the computer acting on its own. I just feel like to, my interpretation was, you know, the Zora portion of the computer suggested to the captain Buster Keaton or Charlie Chaplin. And I feel like in, in the scenes where we were not looking at Saru, he dug into that a little bit further and said, Hey, this is a good idea. Yes. Fine. He does not. It's not his voice on the all call to get everybody together. Um, Still, I, I still I, I just feel that the episode is saying with an underlined and a bold and an italics and, and and arrows saying this is not a threat. This is this is a new way to view the helpful computer assistant like the new way to fly we had in this Star Trek to bring us into this new era of Star Trek. And Pete, you 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 set up my my second to last uh, theory point here. We see an increased reliance on the spore drive. We see the beginnings of not depending on Stamets. Is the end point for this uh, perhaps even as soon as this season? Do we see Discovery bring safe spores? Let's not forget they were going to stop using it because of damage to the spore network, and that has now. Just like in Next Generation when they said new speed limit because we really want to do uh, combustion engines are bad, everybody. Come on. They did that again. And just like in Next Generation, they let that go. Um, does the dark matter say, oh, look, now we travel parallel to the spores, not through them and hurt them. Does this bring safe, faster than light travel back to the galaxy and bring the good times back again? While clearly Discovery is going to catch up with the Federation, with Starfleet, is going to disseminate the the technical know-how about it. It'll take a couple episodes. You've got the rest of this season to do that. Remains to be seen where exactly, you know, we, we don't really have a, a threat right now. There's not the, the specter of the Klingons hanging out there or what is this? Red Angel, could the Romulans be behind it? Um, are, are the Borg out there in the in the origins of control or vice versa? Um, so yeah, I, I just feel like uh, 
you know, you, you solve this issue of reuniting the Federation and then whatever obstacle they might face after that reveals itself. Last one from me, Pete. Where is Federation headquarters? We get the big reaction from Burnham, even though uh, Adira kind of shrugs it off as, you know, oh, someplace. Uh, where is Federation headquarters? Gotta be Vulcan, right? You read my mind. Um, yeah, it's gotta be. I mean... There's a shot in how a great would it be of Saru with a Vulcan. Could Could we really flip our lids Matt, and you thought you were looking at a vulcan <laughs> who else has pointed ears that the romulans became a member of the federation that that they are holding down the fort that the headquarters is in romulan space i mean it'd be an effective left turn i don't know that you do it just for the shock of it um, Burnham has the connection with Vulcan. I, I think that makes the most sense. Uh, Pete, I have goosebumps at the Romulan theory because I think it works on a thousand different levels. Let me go top down. The notion, particularly on this day of days, but the Star Trek notion that we can set aside our differences and work together to have the Federation... Um, uh, you know, radiate out from 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 the the new Romulan homeworld, and not, you know, our Washington D.C. of uh, of of Earth and our New York of Vulcan, or vice versa. You know, however you want to look at it. But to to say it really is at the other end of things, I think that there would be some some aspiration there. I think that you could say in a thousand years. They finally got their, you know, they, they, they got over their xenophobic uh, traditions and all that. Add to it the theory that we've kicked around that um, in the 24th century, Romulan ships were not using uh, dilithium warp cores, so they might have been ready to go. Add to it, you might be able to get a passing reference here, that the Romulan people never forgot that ancient old-timey Admiral Picard who helped them when they were in need. And finally, when the burn happened 100 years ago, Romulan society recognized that they, too, had a responsibility to help their galactic neighbors and to go out and help. Um, Pete, I th though you are shying away from your own theory, um, I want to be full on in the, the, the hand of, of siblinghood that the <laughs> Romulan people can be putting forth out to, to we on Earth and to our, our friends in Vulcan and Telar and, and Doria and all that. Do we know definitively what is wrong with Detmer after this episode. I think that based on Culber's um, medical scan and his emotional conversations with her, I think that we can recognize it as a social emotional uh, issue regarding or, or rather needing, uh, you know, counseling and that sort of psychological approach that, that sort of, you know, therapeutic approach. In my mind, we can set aside the return of control. We can set aside the Borg virus. We can set aside, uh, you know, uh, whatever those things might be. I think that we were just setting up, you know, 
Detmer, nay, all of us saying things are not all right. I need help. And that that being the starting point of finding your help, not not the admission of some sort of weakness. Trill, the number of symbionts that Tall has had, you know, I, I did a, a memory alpha, but I couldn't definitively find anything about life expectancy. Um, perhaps, Pete, you on some level had the expectation that the past lives would take us all the way back to the 24th century. Um, cause that's kind of the, the vague expectation I had. You figure it's been a thousand years, right? And I think there, we can include gray, but gray, gray's life kind of concurrent with Adira's and, and the, them being of the same generation. Uh, I believe Adira, Adira and gray combined. I believe they were the sixth, generation there so let's just say for the sake of argument about a hundred years of life for each of the host bodies that takes us back about 600 years um i don't know if you put an asterisk there because some of them appeared to be younger do you does your mental self when you're when you're a memory in the in, in the squid uh do you remember yourself as an old person or at your best i don't i don't quite know um but i would put it at you know it's not this link all the way back, and it's not this storyteller who's going to tell us. Uh, and then in season two of Picard, let me give you an early preview. I think it's just from so long ago that if you need something story-wise, again, as Star Trek Discovery reinvents itself wholly, um, if you need something to say, oh my goodness, 450 years, we too had you know, had the, the giant glowy rock creature okay, great, but it's not so far back that you can say, hmm, you know what? I remember when there was that there was that cussing admiral at uh, Starfleet Academy who said, you know, cursy things to Admiral Picard, and we all heard about it. You know, I don't think we go back that far. I think the show is committed at having come from yet broken the bonds of the Star Trek that came before it and really charting its own course. No less symbiotic in nature, Matt, are our patrons to patreon.com slash fantastic geek. They live on inside us. We do the podcast, but they're inside of us providing the energy. Indeed, Pete. Uh, I love this as a metaphor because uh, new listeners are able to go back and find us, uh, find us in the past, our initial thoughts on so many things. Uh, podcasts of old, etc., and that brought forth anew uh, because of the people who support us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek, keeping not only the catalog growing forward, but keeping that old catalog up there for uh, for re-listens and for uh, lowercase d discovery to be uh, to be had by new folks. With that, let's go to hailing frequency. Hailing frequency is open, sir. Pete, we start in a slightly different order this time. Uh, last week, I had mistakenly missed an email from Derg that I want to start with right now. Uh, Derg sent in an, uh, an email for episode three and episode four uh, separately. So my apologies there, Derg. Uh, and, uh, and and you get the top spot in feedback this week. So Derg says, uh, Pete, again, of last week's episode, Derg says as follows. Hi, Pete and Matt. Season three is exceeding my expectations so far. We had an intriguing new character introduced to the series, Book, and he is the uh, the only one 
Pete, I'm not sure if Dirk means not the only one, but I, I will continue here. Uh, Dirk says, thankfully, I say thankfully because I felt that in the first two seasons, as much as I enjoyed them, I felt that the regular Discovery crew couldn't get enough character development because of uh, all the outside characters stealing the spotlight. Ah, I see I see Dirk's point here. Book as the only, at least when this email was sent for episode three, Book as the only new character to be rotating in and out of the show, which gives more time to those, those bridge crew folks. Uh, back to Dirk's words here. Finally this season, we have genuine growth moments for Disco's own crew, and the actors are up to the task. The screen time, Detmer, Owo, Reno, and even Bryce and Reese uh, have significantly improved, and thanks to that, there's a genuine sense of family in Disco. I'm also glad Klingon, Romulan, or Vulcans are left behind so far to delve into different characters and storylines. Welcome back, Trills with Adira. Kudos also to Bojan Kim and Erica Lippolt for another well-written episode. They also panned into The Forest I Go, which was the best episode of season one, in my opinion, as well as the second season's terrific episode, The Sound of Thunder. As always, I'm excited to hear your takes on each episode. Thanks for all you do. That from Derg, who is Mark, A-L-I-A-N, Derg, on Twitter. So, Pete, any thoughts there about Derg's, uh, Derg's info from episode three? Interesting, the point about leaving the Klingons at all out at this point. Um, key in finding the Federation is going to be some kind of update to what its status is Yes, we know the operability in terms of the limited communication and transportation. But now, like, what is their status going to be amongst the Romulan Star Empire, the Klingon Empire, the Borg, the Gorn, etc., etc.? Like, that's the thing I'm tantalized. Full disclosure of what this universe looks like in the uh 32nd century right 33rd century uh pete perhaps when you say the romulan star empire perhaps you are referring and i'm i'm i'm, I'm prognosticating here but perhaps you're referring to uh the united federation of planets including the romulan republic and other associated star systems you love my theory man i was just i i really it. do <laughs> pete look on this day of hopeful togetherness uh the idea that we can reach a point where the the them over there are not you know it's not just oh they're in charge but it, that there's harmony uh pete i feel inspired uh we now go to derg's email for episode uh 304 derg says what a fantastic episode fitting with how great this third season of discovery has been so far the writing was stellar Saru struggling with command decisions was genuine and realistic. Let's be honest. We know we love to see Saru's serene decision-making, but nobody can claim to captain uh, a ship under these circumstances and not get nervous, let alone the first-time captain. Detmer is really shining though uh, through as a character and this, uh, and this season, and Emily Coots' acting during the dinner scene and during the confession talk with Culber is so good that I found myself wondering again why oh why showrunners have waited so long to finally give her a storyline speaking of colber wilson cruz is a great asset to discovery's cast i haven't even gotten to how much i love adira as a character but i don't want to take too much of your time great episode nice character moments five star trek 
Uh, I love Michael, don't get me wrong, but I found the Trill story being in focus from Adira's point of view and Michael serving as a guide to Adira, finding the right path, very refreshing, and the B story allowed the rest of the crew to shine through. Thank you for your wonderful podcast as usual. And again, Pete, that's from Derg, the Markalian, uh, at Markalian Derg. Thank you, Derg. Some uh, some great emails and some interesting thoughts there. Yeah, and I, I, while Burnham is front and center in this episode, uh, I think Derg is right that that certainly by the end of the episode, the focus is away from Burnham, which is which is a rare thing. With that, Pete, let's head to our Twitter poll. Uh, Pete, I was so dazzled by this episode. I said I'm not going to do a four three two one because I really genuinely think. There are people who look for hashtag Star Trek Discovery just to downvote polls and whatnot. If the, if these people were giving it a one and then saying, here's why it didn't work for me. And if they said, you know, poo-poo, Alex Kurtzman, make sad. Like, <laughs> at least that's an argument. I, I thought that's you were reading an one. actual tweet there for a second. I've, I've read tweets to that effect. Uh, I'm sure if we search Twitter for poo-poo, Alex Kurtzman, we'd, we'd, we'd find some. But... Pete, I, I did not I wanted to focus on the positive, not the negative. So here were the choices for uh for this week. Because I was only focusing on on the positives here. Best Star Trek episode ever got 3.2%. Top 100 all-time Star Trek episode got 19.4%. Oh my goodness, Pete. All of a sudden now I'm now I'm John King on CNN. I just need a little <laughs> map to say, as you, you can a, see here. Shark Throb? Uh, I might be, you know, Pete, listen, if, if we keep, if, if we keep counting from, from, from the Midwest and from people who grew up on classic Trek, what does that do for the, um, best 2020 Trek episode? Cause Pete, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this is the first year ever where we've had three different seasons of a star, uh, three different seasons of three different Star Trek shows in, in the calendar year. I'm talking Picard, Lower Decks, and Discovery. So it was the best 2020 Star Trek episode. 19.4% said that. And then best season three Discovery episode, 58.1%. So Pete, to me, all of those votes, a celebration uh, of this episode. Uh, we heard from James, that's at Big Killen on Twitter. I think that this will be the, be the episode I remember when uh, contemplating when Discovery became my favorite Trek series. All subtle, a perfect piece of art. Casting, writing, acting, direction, and production. Even CBS uh, All Access got the subtitle timing, timing right on the second attempt. It's <laughs> <sighs> a great point. <laughs> it is. Um, we heard from Andre Yeager. That's at Dr. Polo in 1983. Another great example of writing and acting for Discovery. Handled the prejudice of the trill with class and dignity while showing how to overcome it. Also loved the dinner table scene. Again, great acting. One question, was the computer the sphere or control? I Pete, I think we can say yes, right? It's both. Yeah. Uh, we heard from the aforementioned Karen Chu. Uh, by the way, Pete, who, you know, you can have your Twitter at name and then you can change your, your name name on there. Uh, Karen has kept from the Lower Decks days uh, Kez Choo Choo Choo, which I assume is a Choo 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 Lower Decks reference. Anyhow. Uh, Karen says it was one of the most authentic, lovely, and moving episodes I've ever seen. To me, it ranks with City on the Edge or Family. High praise indeed. Uh, we heard from uh, our pal, Madeline Eaton. That's Maddie from L.A. 
Uh, by the way, I, I automatically click the top option of the poll because uh, that's usually where the four <laughs> stars live. Again, it was hard to read through tears. I would simply say this. It was the most perfect episode to watch this week of all weeks. Uh, I, I, you know what? That's, that's a sentiment I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep with me, Pete. Uh, we heard from Brett Williams. It's at BWDESMO. Uh, B-W-D-E-S-M-O. I just loved it. It was Trek comfort food that I needed. I was surprised how emotional I got, and it peaked with Detmer coming to Hugh at the end of the episode to talk. How many of us saw ourselves saying, I'm not okay? Um, Pete Maddie, uh, before I had mentioned crying, she had said, help, I can't stop crying. And uh, I think many people certainly agreed there. Uh, and lastly, Pete, uh, a response thread started by uh, Jackie Wolf. That's J-A-C-K-I-W-O-L-F-E. Uh, Jackie said, I have to admit I felt a little attacked by Dr. Colber's, Colber's use of the term responsibility hoarder to describe uh, Michael Burnham. Uh, he must have reached way back into the archives to find that term in one of my sessions with my therapist. I kid, of course, that she tags at Wilson Cruz. Uh, I, I kid, of course, Wilson Cruz is an American treasure. Pete, then we got the response from Wilson Cruz that said, uh, Doctor, hear the, heal thyself, trust me. Uh, and acting it and being it are very different things. Um, and Jackie replied there, true, but both things, being an incredible actor and an actualized human, take work. And uh, Pete, I think that's a perfect way not only to wrap up Jackie's comments there, but Wilson Cruz and particularly his castmate, Anthony Rapp, this past week have been uh, been in their own small but really heartfelt and and valuable way. They have, I think they've, I know they've helped me navigate through the last week and the news and the ups and the downs and the ups, uh, and 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 I know for other people as well. So, uh, so Pete, I don't know if Anthony Rapp or Wilson Cruz are listening, but I, I certainly thank them both. Well, add Doug Jones to that as well, Matt. Um, we had also interacted with him on Twitter this week, and he responded a couple times. Um, you through the Fantastic Geek account, and then me through my account. You know, the the visual of him hugging Burnham last week. I, I told him, you know, he hugged her gently, but I felt it, and and he reacted to that. So. They're, they're definitely aware and interacting with the fans. Maybe more than ever, we needed this, you know, just discussion, this thesis on the, the mental health of others um, and the need to check in to see that people are okay. We've, we've come through such a, a turbulent time, and let's hope that that is ending now. Um and we can get to Unification 3. I know a couple months ago, Jonathan Frakes had commented how he misses the in-person um, conventions, in part because there's that, there's that interaction that isn't the planned portion. It's not the, all right, you have your 60 seconds to take your picture and then shuffle on, says the photographer, you know, and how he has spent all these years hearing stories about how Star Trek has really changed people's lives. And I think that's, that's by and large unique to Star Trek fandom. Um, I, I feel like for as wonderful as discovery has been for the first two seasons and certainly ha- has had an impact, not just in kind of, you know, as, as a TV show and whatnot, but representation, new kinds of representation and whatnot. I feel like it's this third season where people, you know, this is where the actors are going to start to hear. This is how you, this is how I got the help I needed 
small or big or this you know, if Detmer could if Detmer could do it I could reach out to somebody you know whatever it might be I feel like this is the season this is the time where this show is really having an impact on uh, on the fandom in that above and beyond way it's hitting its stride and perhaps in a time that's needed most to Facebook Matt where Robert T Frost writes into the Fantastic Geek Facebook page Matt Pete and others I'm seeing that I owe an apology for my last commentary. I certainly did not intend to offend anyone with my comment about Mary Wiseman. I was tru- truly curious how the show might handle an actor's pregnancy. Work it in or work around, uh, but I obviously did not convey my thoughts correctly. Also, I am not in any position to cast stones as I, myself, am pushing maximum density. <laughs> so I offer my mea culpa. Episode 304. When the show was explaining why Michael Burnham should be the one to accompany Adira down to the planet because of her experiences, I actually said aloud to my son, because you're the show's lead. Was he listening to our podcast? (laughs) (laughs) I get the thread of story, but I would have thought Stamets had a better connection with Adira given their interaction last episode. I think Stamets has also had plenty of experiences. But, I'm sorry, he has uh, made a 900-year time jump, survived being stabbed by a 9-inch alloy shard, and come back from some kind of death in the magical mushroom realm. I really enjoyed Dr. Culper's haiku, not only that he messed up his poem, but the fact that he recognized Georgiou said one. Detmer's PTSD. It's a horrible condition as I have personally witnessed its effects through two family members. But given how Detmer struck her head across her cerebral implant, I had thought it might be a more physical problem as in a damaged interface causing some slowly increasing issues until it got fixed, replaced, or recalibrated. Until next time, your friend, Bob. Certainly Bob's uh, words were appreciated there. I do wonder, I mean, obviously we're going to keep an eye out. You know, are there further developments on the Detmer end in terms of like theory and story twists and turns and, you know, just her... Uh, optical implants start to blink red because it actually is control after all, you know, things like that. I suspect that we are probably in a drawdown from uh, from theory escalation. And, you know, we can say, oh, look, she's just made reference to having finished up a therapy session with Dr. Culber or, or you know, whatever it might be. Um, as for, you know, who who would be best served, not because of where they are in the credits, who would be best served in going down to the surface with Adira, I think it's a compliment to the show that so many characters could have gone down with her. Um, I think, for example, and, you know, I mean, I mean, for so many fans, Deep Space Nine is the best Star Trek because of what it was able to do in seven seasons. You kind of think a little bit how some characters were in corners that the other characters might not cross into. For example, you were not going to see Jake Sisko at the bar every week talking to quark and were there episodes where he was in there sure but you know there there was a little bit there of kind of you know home life and work life a little bit um 
And I feel like in Discovery, especially this season, frankly, especially with the elevation of, you know, the bunch that we keep referring to lovingly as the, the Canadian regulars, to elevate them, it's not just, you know, here is the episode where we have to make use of the person that we've just hired for this year. Um, you know, like Anson Mount, love the guy, can't wait to see uh, to see Strange New Worlds, but like, hey, he's got a big enough resume where he's going to be and Anson Mount in the credits. Therefore, we have to use him. Otherwise, we're, you know, we're we're tinkling away the money that we're paying him for every episode because he's got to be in the credits. Versus just like, we want to do some Detmer. Let's do some Detmer this week. We want to, if we want to have book not this week, great. We're going to, you know, David Ajala is not so big a celebrity that we're, that it's like, well, we have to pay him each week and we can just be flexible and go where the story needs to go. It's a very, you had mentioned earlier, Pete, there's not kind of the overall, you know, the search for Spock, the Klingon war, get back to our dimension from the mirror universe. There's kind of not that going on. I don't mind that. It still is interconnected stories, but it's not the gun to our head. It's can we go out there and find hope? And we're taking some time to get there in the course of 13 episodes. That's okay. In times where we need hope, Matt. It's important to look to great leaders. And with that, let's hear from Admiral Fred in the Netherlands. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 4. It's a pity that we lost the interaction between Michael and Book here in this episode, and I really hope that we'll come back sometime. I found a disagreement that happened at the table, at uh, Saru's dinner table, uh, a little bit over the top. Okay, that two people quarrel, but that everybody starts to quarrel. Uh, It's not impossible, but I think quite unlikely in that manner. So it was okay, but it felt a little bit unrealistic. Still not knowing what is really happening to Detmer, she seems quite off and I think some stuff will come back especially if she starts talking to Dr. Colbert or was she only story-wise like this because she could be the catalyzer for this dinner table explosion. I did like the whole Trill story and the revelation that symbionts also could take place take a place in a non-trill body only a little strange that in all these centuries that was never discovered before. The whole arriving on Trill and the strictness they had there reminded me a little bit of the Next Generation episode Justice, season 1 episode 8, where Wesley Crusher walked on the grass on some planet and got into big, big trouble just because of that. Very brave of the makers of this Star Trek to use trans and non-binary actors. Really, really good. I found the cinematography, as almost always in Star Trek Discovery, really amazing. Very, very nice. Especially also this symbiont cave with these milky ponds. I love a lot of Canadian series and it was nice to see some Canadian actors here. For instance, Karen Robinson, who played the Trill leader, Pav. I know her as Mildred Clark, the mother of Trudy Clark in Frankie Drake Mysteries. A 1920s 
female-driven detective story. Probably something that's not on your scope. I hope you will survive your elections over there on the other side of the big pond. When I record this, it is Friday, 6 o'clock in the evening here in Europe. So that will mean midday Eastern time in the US and still not clear who won the elections. I will not go into details, but as a foreigner, I'm looking at this whole process with big amazement. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Pete, Fred's insight, his time, etc. So very much appreciated. So let's start with some of his uh, some of his observations there. Uh, Pete, when will we get back to the book? When we need him for the story. Um... You know, there, there would have been an overstuffed nature. What would he have done in this episode? Gone along with Michael and Adira and cracked jokes or something like that. He, he wasn't needed. There's there's no space for him in this particular story. Uh, on the topic of, of Thanksgiving, I know it's not big in the Netherlands. However, I know, Pete, in uh, in the city of Leiden, there is a bit of a Thanksgiving uh, uh Tradition, including in the uh, in the coincidentally named uh, Peter's Kirk, St. Peter's Church. Um, to me, I totally i i bought that whole exchange. I bought that whole exchange as authentically what can go wrong during Thanksgiving. Um, indeed, Pete, I i though we don't need to get perhaps into deep current events uh, discussion here. I remember very distinctly being invited to. Um, a family member's spouse's parents' house for Thanksgiving four years ago, uh, and and as we were all asked to go around the table and share what we were thankful for, there was a a young man. Uh, this, of course, November 2016, who was profuse in his praise to the Lord as to uh, changes in politics. I don't know. I don't don't know how that young man feels now, though. I expect uh, expect he's not happy, um, but. I get that there's a certain kind of dramatic TV thing of, and then they need to quickly clear out the room so it's a disaster and they're not going to solve everything in a lengthy eight-minute scene. They're going to chop it up. But uh, to me, there also was... uh, I know, obviously, there are other holidays where family members from near and far gather around the table, and there are other holidays where things can turn south. But to me, there was an authenticity to that being a, a less than ideal Thanksgiving. Families fight sometimes uh at these dinners some more than others it's it's authentic um i don't know that it quite hit melodramatic levels uh it worked for me i know fred had commented on this revelation that uh, perhaps trills are interchangeable with other species after all um and i'll just remind him and remind all our listeners something that we had touched on a bit last week which is our trill memory from D Space Nine um, is skewed by the openness that Dax and Cisco had. That was extremely atypical. There are D Space Nine episodes that cover the fact that uh, in trill society, um, it is hidden from the population that as much as fifty percent of the the humanoid population could be hosts. Uh, it, it's rumored to be at a one percent or half percent. Um, and, and there's internal story reasons or there's an internal societal so, social reasons why they don't want to make it so popular that it becomes a, a thing and they want to keep the whole 
symbiote issue secret and all of that. But to me, what we had presented here in terms of, hey, we haven't fully explored the science of this. It would it served the story, of course, but it also it also was in line with a society that is totally chill. And I'm like 800 years old. And, you know, sometimes you love men and sometimes you love women and sometimes they have kids and boyfriends. Are, we're trill. We kind of go beyond that. But also we're super secretive. Get out, man. Like secret room lockbox. We have secrets here. To me, that was all in line with what was presented in the past. Yeah. And that they're struggling to have enough symbionts and enough hosts that their society is on the brink of collapse, we're told. Um, and again, here comes Discovery as a change agent um, for Star Trek for the times that it has entered. Indeed, Pete. I found myself thinking this week, do you remember at the end of uh, the first season of Discovery how the Klingon ships were approaching Earth and approaching and like at the very, they were so close. I think it was even past like the, the moon, which I think is like 280,000 miles away. So they were like within 200,000 miles of Earth and it got that close to total destruction. And then good news came through to pull them <laughs> away. I kept thinking of that this week that it was so kind of TV and a little hackneyed like, okay, we get it. It's on the brink and then beyond the brink and you, you feel terrible, but it, then it all works out in the end. Boy, Pete, sometimes Star Trek is really right. Sometimes Star Trek <laughs> captures things before you really knew that they did. It is the future after all. Oh. Pete, I can't believe it. Here we are approximately one third of the way through this season as we get uh, close to the 800th episode of Star Trek Discovery on uh, December 31st in this country. Uh, and then the season finale on January 7th, which which seems far away, but so too seems season three. And as I said, here we are about a third of the way through. So how can people be in touch with you to talk about the next two thirds of season three of Star Trek Discovery? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 11,696 followers can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word, like it today. For those listening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we'll be back almost certainly tomorrow to talk Mandalorian episode 202. Oh, wait, Pete, it's chapter what now? Chapter, chapter 10? 10. Um, and, uh, if you're just here for the Star Trek stuff, barring any, uh, earth shattering news, we'll be back next Saturday to talk episode 305 of Discovery. With that, Pete, I can say, looking at this counter, this has unquestionably been our longest Star Trek Discovery podcast, our longest Discovery podcast, maybe our longest podcast ever for Fantastic Geek. What a day to do it on, what an episode to discuss, and what a pleasure it has been. So with that... I will say adios to all the listeners and give you the final word. I said I.